0: kind of a natural flow in our lives to, you know, kind of take inventory. What's going well? What's not going so well? What can we do to make what's going well go better? What can we do to make what's not going so well uh, turn that around? And again, it's just a natural time in the year when we kind of try to take on new habits, get rid of bad or destructive ones. And so we've kind of been looking in this series at starting the new year, off right, and we're kind of looking at some of the barriers that really prevent us from being all that God is calling us uh, to be. And last week, we kind of looked at the root of bitterness. And this week, I want to talk about that barrier of pride and how this really can prevent us from reaching uh, our fullest God-destined potential. Proverbs 6.16 says this, These six things the Lord hates. Yes, there are seven that are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, and I believe that refers to abortion, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among brethren. So right there in Proverbs it says a proud look pride is an abomination to God. In other words, he hates it. And and again, that's very strong language. God, we talk about the love of God, but there are also things that God despises, things that God hates. And it's strong because pride really is a very dangerous, it is a damaging and an extremely deceptive sin. Pride is something every one of us in this room have dealt with multiple times in our lives. It is something we will continue to deal with throughout our lives here on earth. As a matter of fact, pride is usually The last thing to leave the human heart and the first one to return. It is the last one. It is the last thing that will leave the human heart. It is the first thing that will return. See when Hughes in his book, Every Day with Jesus says this, pride was the most poisonous of the seven deadly sins and if we didn't think we had any, It was a sure sign we had plenty of it. Pride is the only disease known to mankind that makes everyone sick except the one who has it. I remember when the once great heavyweight boxing champ Muhammad Ali turned 65. There's a true story about... uh, when he was uh, in his prime, he was about to take off in an airplane and the stewardess reminded him uh, to fasten his seatbelt. And he had a very, very cocky response back to the stewardess and said, Superman don't need no seatbelt. To which the stewardess quickly replied, Superman don't need no airplane either. (laughs) Ali fastened his seatbelt. And again, every one of us from those of us who think they are the greatest to those who think they are the least, every one of us struggles with, at times in our lives, the issue of pride. So let me, before we even begin talking about pride, let me kind of tell you what pride is not. We call many things pride today, and we use the, pride, the term pride you know, to describe a lot of things that really are not what I think the Bible would refer to as that pride which God hates. Um, As a matter of fact, um, good self image is not pride. Now, we, we can take pride in having a good self image that is not detestable to God. God wants you and I to have a healthy, positive self-image. And again, when you and I, when we truly understand who we are in Christ, who God has created us to be in Christ, how he wants us to function in that relationship with him and with one another, it will naturally produce a good, healthy, positive self-image within us. God wants that for us, and so a good, healthy, positive self-image is not pride. Receiving honor is not pride. As a matter of fact, there are multiple places in Scripture where it says we are to give honor to one another. Uh, Romans thirteen seven says we are to give honor to whom honor is due. The Bible calls us in Ephesians 6 two to honor our father and mother. 1 Peter 3.7 instructs husbands to honor their wives and wives to honor their husbands. So it's all right for us to, to say, for example, to uh, our spouses, I'm proud of you. I appreciate everything you do for me and for our family. Uh, I just appreciate everything. You know, the ways that you serve me and serve our family, that's okay. That is a good way to honor, and we're called to do that for our spouses. First Timothy 5.3 calls us to honor those who are widows. So if you're here this morning, you're among us, and you're a widow, we are called to honor you. First Peter 2.17 says that we are to honor one another. And so again, the way that we give honor to those to whom honor is due is by valuing them. It's by esteeming them. It's by giving them respect. So if the Bible says we're to honor people, then it's certainly not a sin to do so. When our children do well in school or they do well in a sporting event, it's necessary for us as parents to honor what they've done, to tell them how proud we are of what they've been able to achieve and have accomplished. I mean, we're called to take a certain amount of pride in the way we do our jobs, in our schoolwork, in the way that we dress, I mean, in, in the way that our home looks, just in the way that we present ourselves. There is a good, healthy positive self-respect that the Bible does not condemn. As a matter of fact, it encourages. So what is the kind of pride that the Bible does condemn? One type of pride that the Bible condemns is kind of this independence, this attitude of independence from God. And it will manifest itself in this way. God I don't need you or I don't need you in this particular area of my life. I'm going to take care of it on my own. This attitude of kind of independence from God is one of the kinds of pride that God despises. He, he hates this kind of pride because this attitude of independence from God, it will eventually give way to a sense of ingratitude, which again is also one of the facets of pride. When a person has this haughty, this ungrateful, unthankful spirit, then that person becomes proud in that he does not acknowledge God for all that God has given him, that God has blessed him with. And again, the Bible calls this attitude of independence, this attitude of ungratefulness, pride. It causes us, therefore, to begin to kind of measure ourselves against one another and to esteem ourselves as better or more worthy of this than someone else. And all of this, again, there's many, many facets to this this jewel of pride And and this is one of those facets. Now let me just narrow the focus here a bit and and give you some tests for pride, some indicators here this morning whether you're prideful. Let me do that just by asking you questions. You don't have to answer these. You don't have to raise your hand. If you want to, you can. You don't have to. Does it irritate you when somebody corrects you for your faults or your mistakes? Does it bother you? Does it get under your skin? Does it irritate you when someone corrects you for your faults and mistakes? Now, nod your head. Now, pride says don't nod your head now. Don't let anybody around you know that it irritates you when somebody corrects your faults and mistakes. Don't do that. That's pride. Are you an individual who when he does make a mistake, always has an alibi, always has an excuse ready as to why that happened. Always justifies that mistake, again, it's simply a form, a facet of pride. When somebody wrongs you, and somebody does something you don't like, do you ever just say, I can get along without that person. You just write them off. I can do life without them who needs them. I'm not going to talk to them again. That sense of self-sufficiency, that sense of not needing, not wanting the other person is a facet of pride. Pride. Do you find it difficult to seek counsel, or ask somebody for advice? Are you the type of person who just wants to figure everything out for yourself, or you're the smartest person in the room. No one can tell you anything because you know it all. This is also a form of pride. Do you have an ungrateful spirit? Not again, accepting graciously what God has given to you, or perhaps complaining for what God has not given you as though something is owed to you. Again, that is a form, a facet of pride. Is your life marked by a sense of competition? And you kind of tend to see yourself measuring yourself against everyone else's successes. You see, pride does not simply want more for yourself. It wants more than anybody else has. And again, these are just a few indicators of what I'm talking about. Again, when we talk about pride, how it will manifest itself in your lives. Now, the Bible tells us there is an enormous price tag for the person who has pride. And I want to just kind of cover three of those really quickly with you this morning. The first price tag... For pride is, it provokes deity. Now again, pride angers God. It's strong language, I know. Again, look at Proverbs 6.16. It says, these six things the Lord hates, yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look. According to this verse, you can sin just by the very way you look. Have you ever seen people who are strutting, sitting down? A proud look, a haughty look, it is something that God despises. He hates it. Proverbs 16, 5 affirms this. It says, everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. That says something. God despises that haughty, prideful look, that haughty, prideful heart and spirit. And why does God have such great hatred toward pride? It's because of what it does. Do you know that pride was the main stumbling block that made the devil the devil? It was the main ingredient. It was kind of the foundation that was laid to take Lucifer and and really transform or cause him to become the devil. To begin with, Lucifer, he was the most glorious creature that God had ever created at that point. God had created this this angel and, and he was full of wisdom and beauty. And he was perfect, and and the Bible says that that God never made anyone up to that point more exquisitely beautiful, more wise, more powerful than Lucifer. Uh, Isaiah 14, 12 actually refers to Lucifer as the son of the morning. His name, Lucifer, it means light bearer or the bringer of light. The Bible says in Ezekiel that Lucifer was perfect in all of his ways until sin was found in him and that sin was pride. Ezekiel 28. I'm going to give you kind of uh, several verses there throughout Ezekiel 28. and, And there it's speaking of Lucifer. And there it says, you were the model of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adored you. You were anointed as a guardian cherub. You were on the holy mount of God. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until wickedness was found in you. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty And you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth. I made a spectacle of you before kings. This is the effect of pride. It's why God despises it. Because of what it does to us. And there's no greater example of that than what it did to Lucifer. It was pride that corrupted the most glorious creature that God had ever created. And in that, Lucifer became proud and became Satan. It was pride that provoked and angered God. Not only was it pride that corrupted Lucifer, making him the devil, but it was pride that also ruined the human race. I mean, what was the bait on the hook that the devil used when he tempted Eve to eat the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It was this. You'll be like God. Now now Eve would not have just done this for a bite of that fruit. I believe it wasn't just, wow, that looks tantalizing. That looks really good to eat. Behind this was this tremendous pull. This tremendous pressure. The devil appealed to her and baited the hook with pride. You, Eve, you can be like the most high God. If you'll just become your own God, you can be independent. From the God who created you, you can be on the same level, shoulder to shoulder, eyeball to eyeball with God. It was pride that baited her to take that fruit. And in that, it ruined the whole human race. It opened the door to sin into the world. Do you realize that pride is an ingredient In varying amounts, in every rape, every murder, every lie, every bit of dishonesty, every bit of cruelty, every perversion, all sorrowing, suffering, every evil known to mankind, pride opened the door to? It's an ingredient in that? All of it is rooted in pride. That's why the Bible says in Proverbs six sixteen these six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, folks. It's number one on the list. Is because all of the other six flow out from that one. Pride leads the parade. It is the basic ingredient more or less in every other sin. It is the sin that leads to every other sin, and it is why it provokes deity. It's why it angers God because of what it does to us. It's why God hates divorce. God doesn't hate divorce to hate divorce. He hates divorce because of what it does to us us what it does to husbands and wives what it does to families he hates that that's not his best for you so you provoke god to anger when there is pride in your heart because of what it has done and what it continues to do to us in our relationship to god and in our relationship to one another not only does it provoke deity but it also proves depravity Sometimes we miss this because we'll say, well, you know, again, we're measuring ourselves against other people, I'm not that bad, I don't steal, I don't kill, I don't lie, I don't murder, and we kind of have this laundry list of all of the things that we don't do. But we can have a sin that is worse than all of that, and that is the pride that is in our heart. Remember, again, what Proverbs 16, 5 says, everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Now, I, I hear this, you know, when people talk about the sin of homosexuality. Well, it's not just a sin. It is an abomination to the Lord, and that's why I'm so against homosexuality. Well, pride is an abomination to the Lord. So if we're going to deal with somebody else's abomination, let's at least be aware of our own and committed to dealing with it as tenaciously as we are the other abominations. You see, it never has to reach the hands or the feet. Just having pride in our heart, in our spirit, the Bible says, is an abomination to God. Look at Proverbs 21, 14. A haughty look, a proud heart, and the plowing of the wicked are sin. It's an amazing verse. Farmers, listen up. (laughs) What does a haughty look, a proud heart, and the plowing of the wicked have to do with each other? Well, back in the days of, Jesus back in the days of the Old Testament. Probably the most religious people you would find in those communities were farmers because they were so dependent on God. They realized there was so little that really they could do to control the outcome of crops. And so they were kind of these people who were very Very dependent on God, his faithfulness, God doing what only God could do. Because again, all they could do is kind of plant it and pick it. Anything else, God kind of had to come in and do his part. So you take a farmer who does not acknowledge God. Because he thinks he's self-sufficient. I can do all of this. I don't need God. And so he goes out, he plows, and he plants his field. Now again, he's not robbing a bank. He's not committing adultery. He's not beating up his neighbor, not beating up his kids. He's just plowing, planting his field. But the Bible says that something as innocent and as necessary as a farmer plowing and planting his field is sinful. Why? Because he's doing it with a proud heart, an independence from God, a self-sufficiency, and that becomes sinful in the eyes of God. That's why Proverbs talks about the plowing of the wicked. You see, the farmer, the person that does not acknowledge that the soil has come from God, The farmer or the person that does not acknowledge that the rain and the sun come from God. The farmer or the person who does not acknowledge that it is God that causes the seed to grow. The farmer, the person that is not utterly, absolutely, totally dependent upon God for all their needs is a proud person. And so even when the farmer plows his field, nothing sinful in that. If he is a proud person, has pride in his heart, he sins. The pride in his heart corrupts. It infects, it affects everything else and proves our depravity, our sinfulness as human beings. How does that pride get into our hearts? How does it get there? I was reading some time ago something very interesting. If you have an apple that has a wormhole in it, you might think, Uh Uh-oh, better be careful here. There's a worm in that apple. No, the truth is, there's no worm in that apple. The wormhole in that apple is not there so the worm could get in. The wormhole in that apple is so the worm could get out. The worm did not bore his way into the apple. That worm bore his way out of the apple. Now you say, now wait a minute, how did the worm get in the apple? It was born in the apple. He was hatched in the apple. Well, how did that happen? Because the egg was laid in the apple blossom, and the apple blossom then became an apple, and that worm was born on the inside and ate his way out. The pride that is in our hearts is there because we were born with it. That's why Jesus said in Mark 7:20 he said, "What comes out of a man is what defiles a man for from within out of the heart of man working its way out, he said, "Come evil thoughts, fornication, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, licentiousness, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, all these things, evil things, come from within and they defile a man. We're born with it. It's born inside of us and just works its way out. Every one of us here, we're descendants of Adam and Eve. Every one of us here, you're born with a predisposition to sin. We're all born egotist. Which is just another word for pride and sin. All of us are born pre programmed to be self centered. Doubt me? Give a little kid a sack full of candy. And you have my permission. Give them more than they could possibly ever eat in a weekend. And then have another child come up and say, Can I have a piece? And the child with all that candy will most likely say, No, it's mine, get your own. Right? I've got six kids, you're not going to pull any wool over my eyes. <laughs> all of us who have children who are surrounded with 20 different toys. They're not playing with 19 of them. Another young kid walks in and starts playing with one of those 19 toys that are not being played with. And the other child walks over and bops him on the head and takes it away from the other child because he didn't want him to have that toy because it's mine. Pride is born in the heart of of a person, it's just like the worm in the apple. Pride comes to the surface, it bores its way outward, and it just proves our depravity, our sinfulness as human beings, and there's not a person, there's not a one among us, myself included, who is not born and egocentric. It's not something that we have to learn. It's natural, it is inherited. You don't have to teach a child to be selfish. You ever notice that? They come that way pre-programmed to be selfish. You have to teach a child not to be selfish. Anyone who has ever raised children knows you have to teach children not to be selfish. Because by nature, every one of us is selfish. We're self-centered. We're egocentric. We come by it naturally. And we come into this world wanting to be our own little God, sitting on our own little throne, ruling the world and the lives of those around us. We come by it naturally. We're born with it. So it provokes deity, it angers God, but it also proves our depravity. The third thing, and I'm just going to let you do your own sermon on this one, is it promotes... Dissension. Did you know that there has never, ever, ever, ever been an argument, a war, a fight, a scuttle, a disagreement that wasn't somehow, somewhere rooted in pride? Pride promotes dissension. Proverbs 13 said, Pride leads to arguments. You could well bet if it leads to arguments, it leads to everything else beyond that. There's never been a war that pride was not the major factor. There's never been a divorce in which pride was the major factor. As a matter of fact, Jesus gave permission. He said, go ahead and and issue the, the decree of divorce. It just represents a hardness of heart. That's pride. There's never been an argument, but what pride was the major factor. You say, well, how do you know? Because the Bible says so. Pride leads to arguments. One of the things I I love about kind of communion um, is when Jesus was meeting with the disciples and and he broke that bread and, and he lifted up that juice, what he was giving them was a very, very symbolic announcement, kind of foresight into what was about to happen to him on the cross. When he took that bread and he broke it, he said, this is my body broken for you. Every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. And he took that glass, he lifted it up, and he gave thanks to God. He said, drink from this, all of you, for this is the cup of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sin. He said, every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. And what those two elements Symbolized the broken body, the shed blood was his death. And his death was that which would overcome and it would completely break the power of sin in our lives. It broke the penalty of sin, which was death. It broke the power of sin. And I'll tell you what, if the death of Jesus can break the power of sin, and there's no greater power other than God. There was no greater power under which mankind was trapped than the power of sin. And if the broken body, the shed blood of Jesus Christ, could break the penalty, the power of sin, folks, I gotta tell you this morning, it can break the power of pride. So this morning as we come Again, it's just an opportunity for us to come and to recognize the broken body, the shed blood of Christ. It has the power to break the, both the power, the penalty of sin. It, it, we're just acknowledging if it can do that, I believe that it can also break the power of pride in my life. And my guess is, is every one of us in this room have dealt with, the issue of pride. Some of you may be dealing with that right now. And and again, there's just a multitude of ways that that can be manifesting itself here this morning. Is there an area of your life where you are not utterly, completely, totally surrendered to God? If there is, that is an area where you're probably operating in pride this morning. And God wants to break that. Not break you. He wants to break that power of pride over your life this morning. And again, if the broken body, the shed blood of Christ has the power to break the penalty and the power of sin, it absolutely has the ability to break the power of pride over our lives. The question is, are you willing? Are you open? Father, we just thank you just invite again the presence of the Holy Spirit which is in us, power of the Holy Spirit in this room, and Father, I just pray, Lord, that you'll open the eyes of our heart. The Father, you'll help us to see, Lord, those areas where we have maybe been living independently from you, God, areas of our lives where we're maybe just not fully, completely surrendered to you this morning. It could be in our marriage, our parenting, our finances. It could be in relationships, God. Lord, in whatever ways pride is manifesting itself in our our lives this morning, God, I just pray, Lord, you'll open the eyes of our heart, God, to help us to see and to recognize that. And God, in seeing and recognizing that, God, also seeing and recognizing that through the broken body, the shed blood of your son, Jesus Christ, you have broken not only the power of sin, but you've broken the power of pride over our lives. And so we just come, and Lord, we just remember. We remember that you love us, that your plans are for us, not against us. That, God, there are things, Lord, that we can do, God, that will inhibit our relationship with you and with others, God, things that will block your blessings in our lives. And, and God, we, we want to just clear that away this morning. So Lord, I just pray, God, that you would just deal with each of us. We thank you that you are a God of conviction, not a God of condemnation. We thank you that you are a God of love and grace, not of guilt, shame, or condemnation. So, God, we bind uh, any and all of those ways that the enemy will try to get us to not deal with this. God, this morning, just help us open our hearts to you, not close them. Help us to run to you, not from you this morning. We just, again, thank you, Lord, that you love us and that, God, you have a desire to set every one of us free from everything that binds us and prevents us from being all that you've created us to be. And so, God, this morning we just come and we thank you for the power of the broken body, the shed blood of Christ, for what they represent.
1: And Father, we just
0: ask, Lord, that you would use that again to just bring us to that place of full surrender for all that you've done for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. When you're ready this morning, you can just come and take a piece of bread and just dip that in the juice this morning and just individually serve uh, ourselves this morning. Maybe you're here as a husband, wife this morning. Maybe this would be a great opportunity for you to go up together and to serve one another. You're as a family, maybe going up together as a family and, and just taking communion together. We don't have to always do it the same way we do it. If God's leading you to do that as a family, to do that as a husband and wife this morning, I just encourage you to do that as well.